Hey, welcome to the Life 2.0 podcast, Christmas edition. Glad to have you joining me from anywhere and everywhere. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor, make sense out of the senseless. And if it's all possible, have a good time doing it today. Let's get to it. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. On the third day of Christmas, my true love gave to me three French hens, two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. On the fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. On the fifth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me five gold rings, four calling birds, three On the sixth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me six geese a lane, five gold rings, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. On the seventh day of Christmas, my true love gave to me Seven swans are swimming, six geese a lake, five gold rings, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. On the eighth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me eight maids of milking, seven swans are swimming, six geese a lake.
for calling birds three French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. I can't help but do in the ba bop 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 thing with Miss Piggy and the whole Muppets gang. Of course, John Denver and the Muppets, 1979, was a big deal on television. Can't find it anywhere except online, I think. It's never been released for uh, for any uh, video formats for television, which is a bit odd. Must be a some sort of a patent thing or registration or legal. Who knows? Anyway, I wanted to start the show out with that. It's Christmas Eve, and that has me, of course, thinking about the 20 years or so that I would put on the red suit and the big beard and a little shaka holly and go out and uh spend time with kids i think i learned a lot of lessons about donning the red suit and taking over the role of santa for so long and um i thought that what i would do because i have the audio version of my book every moment matters pending waiting for uh acx or audible uh more importantly to sign off on that so it can be ready for sale i thought what i would do is in a way is to promote that a little bit see how well i can read this i've already done it once uh, the chapter pertains to everything I was just talking about, called The Sack Man. Once upon a time, a man decided that for at least one night, he was going to fill some mighty big boots. He had just the right red suit with the fur trimmings, the hat that hung to one side with a bright fur ball on the end and a clip of holly just above the left ear, an ample belt that would fit around a couple of pillows and suspenders to hold the whole rig in place. His trousers were tucked neatly into the almost knee-high boots and his face, of course, had the perfect flowing beard that was covered at the ears with curls of white that sprouted from under his hat. His eyes were set under white bushy eyebrows and shone a bright blue from behind small wire-rimmed glasses. Even his hands reflected the outfit, encased in white gloves with a small bracelet of bells on one wrist that jingled just right. What the man did not know was that his willingness to make sure that a few kids smiled on Christmas Eve would turn into more than 15 years of giving and receiving, laughter and tears, and an amazing moment just when he needed it most. I'd been in the Coast Guard just over six months and was stationed at NAS Glenview, Illinois. Two HH-52A choppers were in the hangar and an attachment of about 60 Coasties responsible for everything in the water and land south of a line from Chicago that divided Lake Michigan in half across to Grand Haven, Michigan. Just out of boot camp, I was a seaman first class, robust and steadfast in my military bearing and eager to make my time in the service count for something. My lieutenant was a great guy named Rusty Muncie, and it was an incredible time of growth for me, being around pilots and Coast Guard veterans. I was one marching in step lifer at that time, and when I look at those pictures of myself from way back then with the military haircut and square jaw and blue uniform, there is no way to tell that I would wear another uniform far longer than my government issue. Christmas 1980 was fast approaching, and at some point, a volunteer was needed for an on-base party that was being held for the kids of the approximately 500 Air Force, Army, Marines, Coast Guard, and Navy personnel attached to the Naval Air Station. Before I knew what I was volunteering for, my hand went up. Being the eager young boy in blue that I was, I soon reported to my captain's office for the mission. It was a short meeting and right to the point. Seaman, 
You'll be the Santa Claus at the base children's party, and then you will also do the same at our own Coast Guard party later that evening. Thank you for volunteering, and I expect you to serve with pride behind that beard. That is all. I saluted, spun in my heels, and exited his office. It only took about a minute to realize that I'd been set up. It turned out that it was the Coast Guard's year to furnish a Santa. No one else wanted to do it, and it was agreed by all that when the volunteer question came up, no one else was going to raise their hand. I was a predetermined Kris Kringle whether I liked it or not. A day or two later, the base outfit arrived in a box, and upon inspection, I knew that some serious surgery was in order to save its life. The suit was majorly well-worn and threadbare in spots, and the hair and the beard looked like something the cat dragged in. The beard in particular was nasty, and I could just imagine some old snuff-chewing salt spitting through the acrylic hair. So I did what any self-respecting Santa in training would do. I called my mom, and I gave her the lowdown and talked her into doing some serious suit upgrades in the name of serving her country. In the meantime, I went on the hunt for a beer and hair rig. Within a week, what was once a large red rag in the making had become a work of art due to my mom's holiday spirit and sewing prowess. I donned the entire outfit and checked myself out in the full-length mirror at my folks' house. The transformation was pretty incredible. With my new duds, I took center stage at the base party, holding court from a very large chair in the auditorium while hundreds of kids lined up to tell me what was on their wish list. This was long before video games or personal computers or cell phones or any of the other electronic fodder that floods the markets today. I was asked for teddy bears, Barbie dolls, bicycles, dollhouses, and of course, G.I. Joe. As the night went on, I began to look forward to each child hopping up on my lap and telling me things about their lives that I was sure their parents might not even know. After about four hours of kids and their dreams, the evening finally came to an end. I went back to the hangar and got ready to skin out of my suit and take a long hot shower, but when I went into the empty locker room, I caught a glimpse of myself in a full-length mirror. My hat was a little crooked and there were a few stains on the front of my jacket. My beard was stuck with peppermint from the kids and coffee from me. I felt like I'd gone a few rounds with the champ, but I also had a serious sense of elation. For a few hours, Santa Claus and I got to share the same spirit and make a difference in the lives of little kids. I showed up at the Christmas party for the Coast Guard dressed as Santa, received a nice round of applause and a couple of cold beers and other holiday spirits, if I recall, for my efforts. That one Santa stint grew into a yearly excursion during my enlistment. I went to kids' homes off base and did a couple more evenings with Santa. When I was honorably discharged after four years, my service to the country ended, but my service to Christmas was really just beginning. I eventually spent a few bucks and got a really good Santa suit, a corduroy deal, top of the line. I splurged on a beer and a wig that looked like the real thing, and I actually dug up a pair of my grandmother's granny glasses to round out the look. I started sitting in at a friend of mine's floral shop for a few weeks before Christmas and accepted invites from parents who wanted a real Santa to show up. The routine was pretty simple. I would arrive at the designated place and time, find the sack of goodies that had been hidden, knock on the door, and make a grand entrance. The reaction from children was somewhat predictable, but it was the adults who did not know who I was that really got me going. Sometimes the parents left a note with names for me to throw out while doling out the presents, and I'm here to say that watching someone's Uncle Dan scratch his head and wonder how the heck I knew it was him was worth the drive every single time. My visits would last about 10 minutes, and off I'd go in my Jeep Golden Eagle CJ5, 
loaded for the next stop. I buzzed through the streets of Chicago in full regalia, the door of my Jeep open and my beard flying in the wind. It was a grand time. Over the years, the list of homes got longer, and the breakfast with Santa got more crowded, and my annual excursion on Christmas Eve would often carry over into Christmas Day as I did my best to make the rounds. I could fill volumes from the memories of my yearly excursions, like the time I stopped at a bank to make a withdrawal and was escorted in and out by the security guards who were more than just a little suspicious about my Santa Claus outfit. Then, of course, there was the time I scaled the two-story back porch at the house next door to my in-laws and surprised the family by coming in the patio window and not the front door. One time, I stopped at the home of a friend of mine who had a little girl only to find that I was the first English-speaking Santa she'd ever seen. Her whole family spoke Polish. There were countless stops and gifts, more smiles from strangers than you could ever count, and an endless line of children at churches and schools waiting for their turn with a right jolly old elf. There was one family that I stopped in to see for about eight years in a row. Their house was spectacularly decorated, and it was a thrill to watch their daughter grow from the age of five to 13 and be a part of their family celebration every year. I really look forward to seeing the parents and the grandparents who were thrilled at my yearly appointment. One thing that never changed, though, was the little hairless dog that sat snarling on Grandma's lap. His sole Christmas wish was to tear the bottom out of my pants. Never happened. As my kids were born and grew older, my last stop of the night was at my home, long after they'd go to bed. I'd sneak up the stairs, smelling of night air and cookies and snow, and slowly creep into their room with the sounds of bells softly jingling. They would wake up sleepy-eyed and warm as I sat in their beds and recited, "'Twas the night before Christmas." When I finished, I would give them a big hug and say goodnight. I relished those nights that seemed so very, very long ago, mostly because I knew they would end someday, and end they did, now that my kids are in their 30s. In 1995, I'd been donning the red suit with all the trimmings for more than 15 years, and it was getting more than difficult to be away on Christmas Eve as my own kids enjoyed the magic of the season. As the holiday approached, I felt that perhaps this would be the year I stopped and stayed home. This would be the year that I did not see the little hairless snarling dog and the girls whose house was a showcase. This would be the year that someone else would put on Breakfast with Santa. And this would be the year that I put the beard and the glasses away for good. I told no one about my plans. But as we prepared to head out to visit with the in-laws for the evening, I finally broke down and told my wife at the time that Santa was grounded for good. She was more than surprised, but out of habit and as a backup measure, I threw the suit in the trunk of the car just in case. We headed out over the river and through the woods and enjoyed a wonderful evening. As the time drew near for me to make my usual exit to don my Santa attire, I announced to the adults in the room that I would be staying put and that another hot toddy was in order. I laughed about it with the others, but it bothered me a little bit that a tradition I had held sacred for so long had come to an end. My prayer was that someone else would hear the jingle of bells and take my place. Now that would be a great Christmas gift. We sat for a long time around the tree and caught up on the latest in life and the kids, indulging in goodies and a few more hot toddies. I was so very glad to be part of just spending a little bit of time at home with loved ones, but I was also feeling deeply torn about my decision to stay out of chimneys when the front doorbell rang. My father-in-law answered it, and there in the doorway stood Santa. His suit was a bit on the bargain rack side, and his beard seemed to be more cotton balls than hair, but hey, the guy was giving an earnest effort, 
and it was as if my prayers had been answered in record time. It took about a minute to figure out that Santa was Craig, the next-door neighbor, and he might have been dipping into the holiday punch a little too long. Either way, it was good to see him wish us a happy holiday, and it felt a little bit like my wish had come true to some degree. After his exit, the talk, of course, turned back to my decision, and the gathered were sure that I had alerted Craig and put him up to the appearance, which I had not. But I did feel much better about the evening and the way it turned out, and thought that after a nightcap, I would send myself off to the land of Nod with the kids. Near midnight, and the fire was waning, a silence came over a few of us who were still awake. The tree was warmly lit, and presents littered the floor ready for the morning rush. A light snow was falling. It was one of those precious slices of time when it feels like you've stepped into a Norman Rockwell painting. The spirit of Christmas literally enveloped us. And suddenly, I heard another knock on the door. Great-grandmother Alice was the first to the door, and I expected another visit from Craig next door. She opened it up, and I can still see her take a step back with a look of amazement on her face. She turned to all the rest of us in the room and said, John, it's for you. I slowly rose to my chair and made my way to the foyer. Looking out the doorway, there on the stoop was, I gotta tell you, it was Santa Claus. He was dressed in black trousers that were held up with thick suspenders and wore shiny black boots. His ample belly was covered with a red and white plaid shirt, and his magnificent beard reached mid-chest. The massive white hair on his head touched his shoulders, and he had a small brown pipe in his mouth. His face was crinkled into a smile. He reached out his hand and simply said, Merry Christmas, John. With my mouth hanging open and a crowd of onlookers gawking out the windows, I extended my hand to him, and he said, I just wanted to thank you for everything you've done. We shook hands there on the stoop, with a light snow cascading down, and in that moment, 15 years of giving came back to me in the most amazing of ways. And then he yelled, I'm off! And he jumped into the limo that was parked further down the driveway. I had not moved from the spot where we had met, and I didn't know what to say or even how to react. Now it was my turn for conspiracy theories. Did my father-in-law pull off a good one? I grilled him big time, but he said no. The fact that no one except my ex-wife knew that I would be staying in the house narrowed down the suspects to one. Was she behind it? Another resounding, nope. So what had happened here? Who was this guy? And where did he come from? Why show up right at midnight? And how did he know my name was John? My analytical mind was lit up like a Christmas tree, pun intended, and it was great-grandmother Alice who simply said, Now John, maybe it was Santa. I relented. For what I had asked for and prayed for and hoped for had been shown to me not once, but twice. Matter of fact, it was a reflection of my tenure as Kris Kringle, starting out with a threadbare suit and ending up with a classical representation of Father Christmas. I lay awake most of the night, no longer in analysis, but rather wonder, having been touched at my core by the image of the man in red at the door. I wondered if that's how the endless numbers of children and scores of adults felt after I had stopped to shake a hand or give a hug or roll out a hearty Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. It's just a few weeks before Christmas and I purposely put off writing this chapter until the tree was up and the lights were lit and the stockings were hung by the chimney with care. 30 years ago, I raised my hand to volunteer for what I thought was a simple mission to play Santa for some kids for a few hours. What was in store for me was a far greater mission to, 
in some small way, hold this space for one of the true meanings of Christmas, giving. Not the giving of gifts that are on a list or in the sale paper or paraded across the television, but rather the giving of our lives to something greater than our immediate wants and needs. The giving of oneself to another, and especially to a child, that potent nucleus who is one day going to be an adult. Now, while it's true that Santa Claus has become a Madison Avenue pitchman, it's also true that the origins of St. Nicholas are as pure as the driven snow. And that was the man I intended to emulate every year I went out. Stepping into his boots, simply wanting to make children smile and adults remember the wonder of being alive, to me, is the highest calling. Every year on Christmas Eve, I still take a few moments to think about all those kids who sat on my lap, who told me their most sacred secrets and said that they loved me. Many were dirt poor or sick, and a few were even dying. But for a few moments, none of that mattered. What shone through is another true meaning of Christmas, the love we have for one another. About six months after Santa showed up at my in-law's house, rumor was that a guy in a limo was in fact looking for someone named John, but it got lost and stopped at the wrong house. Hmm. I prefer to believe that whether he knew it or not, his directions were perfect. He stopped at the right house and right on time. I have so many, many memories of those trips. I can't even, I'm sitting here doing this reading with all of you and running the gamut of emotions from being, you know, a jolly old elf myself here many, many years later, thinking about the kids I spent time with uh, that just illuminated as I was talking about going to the one girl's house for years and watching her grow up and, and, you know, that little dog that wanted to just tear me apart. You know, there's a lot of fun in that. And then of course, those were those Christmas uh, breakfast with Santa Claus, which was just devastating to, to see these kids lined up, many of them from other countries that didn't speak English, just wanted to talk to Santa, be near Santa Claus. And uh, so many times I've been with sick children and terminal children. It was very, very difficult. To, you know, Santa's got some pretty broad shoulders, in my opinion. And be, to be able to do that, anybody who takes that on, I have the utmost respect for. It makes a definite difference in the world. So I enjoyed... Uh, spending this time with you once again. I wish you the merriest of Christmases and please be safe in your travels. And it's bone chilling, subpolar freezing here in the Windy City. So we're all hunkered down and we're not going anywhere. And I hope that wherever you're headed, that it is safe and that you're warm. And remember those who aren't with us anymore. I think that's like the most uh, challenging thing for a lot of folks. Uh, those Christmases that have uh, come and gone and so many smiling faces and so many different places that changes sometimes over the years. Uh, we have to cherish that stuff and, and recall it as often as we can. Just my humble opinion and my advice as Santa Claus. So, until next time, be well, safe travels, thanks for listening, keep the faith, Merry Christmas. stars are brightly shining it is the night of our dear Savior's birth long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the souls felt it
when Christ was born.